I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Erica Reed is a new friend in California, and she's quite the manifester. She's a self-proclaimed gypsy with a full journey that's included writing two books to help families struggling with allergies. Now she loves to teach, share, and inspire through what she calls her third baby, lifestyle platform Necessite. I'm so, so glad to finally connect with you. Thank you so much. Or you're in LA, yes? I am. You know, we moved here four years ago. And so full-time there, you've been there the whole time during the pandemic? Yes, we have. And <laughs> tell me about that. <laughs> which, which part? <laughs> <laughs> so you, have y'all stayed there really the whole time? And Yes, yes. We were in New York, actually, because, let me see, in February, my instincts were like, I need to go to New York. Like, let me just go. And... I try and go once a month, but something in February, I was just like, you know what? Go this week. Like you need to just, just go. <laughs> so I go. And as soon as I go, I was there for two weeks and it literally started changing every single day. I, I couldn't believe it. So I ended up leaving like the middle of March and we haven't been back since. Happy to be in LA where you have access to the ocean, I guess, or away. <laughs> You know, I'm very thankful to be here and, you know, it's really a learning lesson for me. I have been on the plane all my life. My mother worked for the airline, so we grew up constantly flying and I've never sat this long in my life without being on an airplane. I ever. haven't either. And don't you love it? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta know. <laughs> I have I'm loved it. I've, I've been in motion my whole life and I don't, something about it has really connected for me. I've loved it. I mean, I look, I, I truly love this moment, but do I miss <laughs> exploring and being adventurous and connecting with cultures? I, I miss that so much. It's really a huge part of who I am, yeah. but I also know that I can't run, which I've probably been a runner in the past in certain things. And this is learning. I'm yeah. learning to <laughs> sit still and, go deeper with myself and appreciate just even more. I've always been appreciative, but this is taking it to another level. And I'm a gypsy at heart. Yeah. So for me, I've learned one of the things that I've learned is it's really not about getting on the plane and exploring. It's about exploring within and my within is within myself, but also within my home. Totally. I agree. And within your family. Yes. Relationships. Yeah. So you're from Colorado. Tell me about that. What was your childhood like? You know, I was raised by my mother, single parent and two sisters. There's th my mother had three girls and it was incredible. My mother, I don't know how she did it, but we truly had an, up, uh, an upbringing that was just great. You know, financially, we weren't, you know, where we could have been, but 
you know, it was just, that didn't matter. You know, my mother made sure we saw the world and she provided for us in a way that we never felt without, you know, it felt very normal for me being at school and being the only one in the classroom and maybe their parents were divorced and, you know, it just, it felt very normal. I remember when I left Colorado, people would say, you're from Colorado. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, did you ride horses to prom? (laughs) Because it's so funny. I mean, people, I don't know, Denver just wasn't on the map then, you know? And so they're like, did you ride horses to prom? I'm like, no, we have cars, we have pavement. (laughs) And your mom worked for the airline industry. Did she wear a uniform? No, my mother was in customer service. Okay, I was gonna say. Well, that. I mean, she did have something, but but I don't I don't remember. Well, I was gonna ask what your first fashion memory was, and I was hoping that she worked more and more with like a cool stewardess uniform from the seventies or. Something. Oh well, <laughs> no. it, it it wasn't it wasn't my mother's work outfit, but it was my my mother's wardrobe. My mother's wardrobe influenced me immensely. I mean, my mother, I will never forget wearing Norma Kamali. She had this beautiful, big shoulder pads, black and red striped long sleeve, like a sweater dress. My mother was such a Norma Kamali woman. She had gold and silver Robert Clergy shoes. One was, you know, one pair was gold, one pair was silver. And at one point my mother had moved us to California. And then she said, no way, I'm not raising three girls by myself as a single parent. (laughs) And California, they'll all be, you know, on a different path before they're 13. So she moved us out to Colorado, but she always flew back to California. She would get her hair done. She would go shopping. Like, seriously, this is what my mother did. I love it. But that's the perk of working for the airlines. Yeah, exactly. She would come back with these beautiful pieces of clothing that at the time you couldn't get. In, In Denver, you just couldn't get it in Colorado. It was, you know, in Colorado, it was... Levi jeans shrink to fit and powder jackets and high top sneakers like that was the uniform. I think it still kind of is a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a little different, you know, from back then. I like to think. So having the the miles and things like that, you girls were able to travel as well. And did you always have a curiosity and a, a wish to travel? Always. I think because we grew up doing it. It was like spring break your birthday, your graduation, where do you want to go? Everything was a trip. Like the gift was really, you know, aside from life and having family and food and shelter, the the material gift was the gift to see the world. The gift was, where do you want to go? And and believe it or not, this is before miles. So (laughs) we would just like fill out like a coupon. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) My uncle was a pilot. So I definitely know about the buddy pass. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm not on it anymore. I got I got the boot off that so many years ago, but man, I'm so grateful I had that experience because it was it was truly wonderful. When we lived in Denver, my mother brought us to California and she was like, "Okay, you you girls can each pick out one outfit." So I I'll never forget my outfit. It was these black thin, very thin corduroy crop ankle pants. A black and white off the shoulder zebra print sweatshirt. Nice. And I'm I'm so out of the box. So one shoe that I wore to school was white and the other shoe that I wore to school was black and they were jellies. 
Erica, that is awesome. <laughs> that, that's really good. They I'm were awesome. jellies. And I, was, I, I did not care. I was like, I don't care if anybody talks about me, if they laugh at me. But yes, this is in the 80s. And I went to school with this outfit that you could not tell me I was not cute. <laughs> <laughs> but can we also admit that jellies, although they are genius and I love them, they give you literally the worst blisters of all time? Yeah, you know, they came back too. And I remember putting my children, well, my daughter in them and they, they're, they're really cute, but the markings that they leave on the, on the feet just weren't the cutest when it came time to take oh, off the shoes. I also read that you spent part of your youth sleeping on floors in Paris. Will you tell me about that? Or is there a favorite trip that you remember from those? So, oh, that, that is definitely, you know, I have different phases to my life. So that phase is, is one of the top. Again, my mother worked for the airlines and growing up, I was obsessed with the French language and just certain parts of the culture and not all the food, but I remember just being really interested in baguettes and escargot. I always had this love and just very infatuated with a place I'd never been to. So I was very curious. So I made up my own French language and would play around the house speaking it. <laughs> so my mother said, I'll take you to Paris for your birthday. I don't remember. It was like one of my teenage birthday years. I think I was still in high school. Right? No, I just graduated high school because I was already in college. So I took off a year from college, went to Paris. My mother took me for my birthday and she said, look, I will pay, and I packed too, mind you, I packed saying I'm staying in Paris. And she <laughs> was back. like, okay, whatever you say, we'll believe it when we see it. <laughs> and I threw just whatever, like I just threw clothes and one big suitcase and I checked this luggage. My mother said, you know, she was with me and one of my sisters, we had our excursion together. It was time for them to return back to Denver. And I said, I'm staying. My mother said, I'll treat you to this hotel for two nights. After that, you're on your own. Here's a credit card. You can only use it in case of an emergency. An emergency does not mean buy clothing. Emergency <laughs> does not mean buy shoes. Not a fashion emergency. Oh, yes, because my mother knew how I was. So she said, you can't buy anything. This is really for in case of emergency. And so, so I was like, okay, I'll make it work. And where did you stay and how did you, and what did you do? You got a job? I stayed, uh, yeah, I stayed right near the Pompidou Center and I ended up being an, a French uh, au pair, well, an American au pair for a French family. Uh -huh. And I worked for two different French families. So at the time, one family, the, the child did not go to school on Wednesdays. So, and then the other family did not meet me on Wednesdays. So it worked out perfect. So the child on Wednesdays, I like took her to ballet and we went to the market and got lunch and I came back and warmed up her lunch, you know, and it, it was really cute. And we just spoke to each other and communicated the best way we could. Did you learn French? I, my husband thinks I'm fluent, but I'm really not. And if you, <laughs> if you want... Yeah, I was going to say, if you try and have this conversation in French, um, I don't get embarrassed, but it will be an embarrassment to the culture. <laughs> I, I, you're probably like me. I lived with a family and I have a really, really good accent, but I don't, I don't know that many words. <laughs> I, I can manage. If I packed up today and went back, I would be able to manage. I can get around, you know, yeah. I, I, I will survive. I'll be okay. But 
to sit here and, and speak as you and I are speaking, oh, it would be beyond broken French. <laughs> you know what is so funny? I'm really good at talking to children in French. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm probably better there with you too. <laughs> so, so you stayed for how long, Erica? That time I stayed for three months and then I returned home for Christmas holiday break. And I'll never forget, I left in the closet. So I met a girl who was working at a restaurant and I just said to her, she was my waitress one night. And I said, do you know anyone looking for a roommate? I would not do this today, but <laughs> this, this, this is back then when life was just different. <laughs> and so I said, do you know anyone looking for a roommate? And she said, I can't talk. Here's my number. Call me. So I called her and she said, you can come by, look at the apartment. I'm living in a French woman's um, apartment. She sleeps in the living room and I need someone to split the rent with for the one bedroom. So I went, I looked at it and I said, I'll move in. So I moved in and I literally slept on the floor. I had no pillow. I had nothing but my clothes. <laughs> so whatever I wore that day was my pillow that night. What did you learn about yourself during that time? Oh, fearless, 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 fearless. And I am truly a woman of faith. Like I, I learned how to survive. I knew I was going to be okay. I've always had faith, but it just, it amped up even more. It was, you know, being on my own and living in a, in a culture where you really have to navigate their life. It's, it's you coming into their space, not the other way around. Yep. And, you know, you, I had no friends, you know, I had to really make it work. And that is, I learned about, you know, of course the, the culture and the people, I, I learned all that, but about myself, in addition, I also learned that, you know, I'm one of those that can handle things that come my way. And I, if I really set my mind to something, I can manifest. Like, yeah. we do have that power within the universe if we make that connection. I absolutely believe that. And when you came back and went back to college, you, you, you took a year off from college, I guess? In I did. I took a year off, and then I went to Atlanta, and I fell in love with Atlanta just visiting friends. Yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to apply to college here. And people were like, are you going to apply to Emory? And I said, no. There's so much history here. I want to be around the history of Atlanta. I'm applying to Clark Atlanta University. I want to be in the co-ed school. I want to be, you know, surrounded by the all-boy historical Morehouse and the all-girl Spelman College. And I got in and I packed up and moved. So my mother was used to this child that she raised. <laughs> and then, and what did you study there? And did that change after your sojourn in Paris? I, I majored in public relations, which my degree is in, it's in communications. And I just knew I wanted a degree, but I never knew what I wanted to do or be in life other than happy. I knew there was a lifestyle that I wanted, but I could not tell you what I wanted to do or be. So I never, you know, some people can say, oh, my wedding dress is going to look like this. And, you know, I'm going to have a house that looks like this and the porch and this and that. I didn't have any of that. But Atlanta was where you met your husband. Yes. I paid my way through college and he came in one night. I was a hostess at one of the restaurants. He came in one night and I sat he and his partner down at a table and we never talked. And years later, we ran into each other again. And did and you know who he was at that time? 
being in Atlanta, yes, he yeah. had started the music industry there. And at the time, I think it was Tony Braxton and Usher mm -hmm. and Outkast. And yeah, I'm trying to think because yeah, Pink came a little, a couple of years later. So yeah, Pink wasn't there yet, but and this was like the Mecca. He had started the entertainment industry in Atlanta. There was no such thing as entertainment. There was no music industry. So being there and being from Denver and seeing this melting pot of, you know, African-American people that were really excelling beyond, you know, I'm coming from Denver and you saw only Bronco football players. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So in Denver, you saw, you saw everything and it was just, I can't even tell you how magical it was. It was, this probably sounds so foreign to someone right now, but coming from where I was coming from and, you know, just seeing what I saw and then moving to Atlanta, it, it was truly incredible. It was just, I can't even begin to tell you. It was like a whole world that you don't know exists. Is he from Atlanta? No, he's from Ohio. Huh. And so he came and just made it happen. Made it happen, but he made it up. He, as he went along. Oh yeah, but I mean, he has a journey. You know, he he was a drummer first, and like he right. opened up. Yeah, he opened up for Luther Vandross when he was like sixteen as a drummer, and you know, he did his thing at at being a musician first, and then he became more behind the scenes and started doing executive producing with his partner and producing. You know, like Whitney Houston, and the the list goes on, and then he decided, you know, I'm going to create this record label. And that's where, I mean, the sounds that he created and what Atlanta became, it was, I'm telling you, to see the birth of something this, this big when it wasn't there before is just, it's mind-blowing, even to this day. No, it, it, absolutely. I mean, he created an entire era. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about your, the beginning of your health and advocacy work. Can you talk about- Wait, I feel, I feel so bad that I'm only speaking about me and not being able to talk to you <laughs> about you. Like, I'm not used to this. I hear a Southern accent. Where are you from? And I mean, I want to hear more about you, but gosh, I'm, I, just so you know, I'm struggling over here because I want to ask you questions. <laughs> I'm not used to making anything about me other than like my moments to take care of me. <laughs> the last time I saw you was at a dinner in Brentwood. So I, next time we'll do it again and we'll, we'll talk all Perfect. things. But I, I, I want to hear about your son and his allergies and sort of how that all happened. So both of my children were born with food sensitivities, food allergies, and environmental allergies. And at the time, when I tell you, I cried, I think every day for three years before I found, you know, true root healing issues. Um, modalities, it, it was a challenge. It started first with my daughter and before she was two, she broke out and bled profusely at night on her face. And I remember taking a picture of her bed linens to take to the doctor, her pediatric doctor. And I said, this is what her sheets look like when she wakes up in the morning and the doctor couldn't believe it. She yeah. was just scratching so much when she slept all on her face and her arms and her legs. And it, it was, you know, eczema. And I just had to dive in because I kept being referred to dermatologist after dermatologist. And they were, you know, they would have been great for us if we had other situations, but because it was an underlining root issue that required addressing the root, what is causing it? What is 
what is triggering it? The dermatologist couldn't help me because we weren't going deeper. We were only applying topical creams where it was a Band-Aid. You, you, right. you know, you, it's a temporary fix. You, yeah. it, it comes, but then it goes, it comes, and then it goes, and, you know, it just comes back. And it was really this yo-yo effect of the up and down with it. And I just, I was so helpless. And so one day before I had my second, I was in my daughter's bedroom and I said, okay, she's only doing this at night. So obviously she's inhaling something in the environment that's triggering it. And it has to be in this room. My husband would come home and every day he would see something different in this room go away. One day the window treatments are gone. The next day the draperies are gone. The next day she's, she, she changed the paint on the wall. The next day she took the furniture out. Like every day I did something different because I was on a mission to get to what was irritating my daughter. Yeah. So literally I changed everything. I said, it's probably, you know, I didn't know what that one thing was. So I said, maybe it's the polyurethane that's on the floor, you know, they seal it and they coat it, you know, so when you're walking, it doesn't scuff, it doesn't stain. So I said, maybe it's the chemical in there. So what did I bring in? I brought in bamboo uh, little tiles that you lay on top of the floor. Yeah. I literally changed everything on my daughter's second birthday, it totally dissipated. Oh, wow. It, it like went away, never had a problem again. Huh. And so that, that was it. So I was like, it had to have been something that she was inhaling that was in the room. I mean, I brought in air filters. I tried dehumidifiers. Yeah. I did it all. And I was not going to stop until I figured this out. And I just kept going. And the room became kind of hodgepodge looking. <laughs> But it's so debilitating to watch your child suffer and, and especially a little person like that that can't tell you, what, no, you know, it's hurtful. I cried every yeah. day and I felt helpless and there's no one you can speak to. Your friends aren't going through it. They're, your friends, kids have no allergies. So I'm literally sailing this boat by myself trying I'm to sure. figure out. They're thinking a, you're not nutty. <laughs> yes. Oh, everyone thought I was nutty. The story doesn't even stop there. So, so, so then, you know, so her second birthday gone, no problem, never again, an issue. Then I'm blessed to have my, my son and he was more sensitive than my daughter. So by three months, I nursed both of my children. So my, my children were never given formula. They were never given cow milk. You did all the things that, you know, that everybody says to do all, all the well, things. Exactly. So yeah. why do I have kids that have, you know, allergies? Because I nursed them. I did exactly what they say. Oh, if you have a nut allergy, don't eat nuts. If you do have a nut allergy, eat nuts. Right. I did everything they said. Right. I did everything. So I, I will admit my kids don't get like the, the, the colds, the flus, the viruses, like that has been the blessing for us. But so then my son was born and this is the child who is truly, he is an HSP person, which is a very highly sensitive. I'm one of, um, <laughs> I'm a diagnosed HSP. So yes, I, I know what that is. Yes. So <laughs> he was one to another level. Now you think people thought I was crazy with my daughter. This took it to another level. So he literally could not have dairy, wheat, soy, gluten, none of this. So I nursed him forever. He went from breast milk straight to rice milk. And both of them went to rice milk because at the time there was no other milk. It was either goat milk, rice milk, dairy milk, or formula. So right. for us, 
I just went with the rice milk. And he broke out by three months. And again, I, I was on a whole different path. You know, I knew I have to address the root of the issue again, because I've had my own health issues. Then I have my daughter, then my son. So I think the journey of life through my own, you know, experiences and then my daughters, everything just kind of led then to my sons. So I knew with my son, okay, I have to address the root of the issue again. And it's skin related. So anything internally always reflects externally. It's our biggest organ. So we're going to see it on the skin. So I knew at this point, okay, he's exposed to something and we had already changed everything. So now our home is clean. It's, it's cleaner. It's, it's, you know, there's no toxins in the home. We don't clean with it. We don't wash our clothes with it. Like all the old traditional stuff that I grew up on had been out of the house. So that, that stuff was already gone. So I'm like, what the heck is it? Because now um, there's, there's no room to tear apart. There's no nursery to break apart. And Erica, through this, I mean, you're seeing all the doctors, correct? Well, so, so in the be beginning, I did not find integrative at the time for a child. I was only seeing Western medicine doctors and, you know, go see this one, go see this one. The only thing that was new that came into our life at this point was an environmentalist. So we went to see an environmentalist who ran, you know, tons of tests and, you know, heavy toxins and metals and leads, you know, all of that. And then after, you know, a little bit of time goes by, I'm in a health food store and I find this book and I'm reading the back of this book and I'm skimming through it. And I'm like, who is this doctor? I have to buy this book. So I buy the book, I take it home and I, I could not put the book down. This man was literally speaking to me. Yeah. Integrative doctor. He saw my children and we changed our diet we went macrobiotic strict for a year, which you don't have to do, but I was on a hungry journey to do anything and everything to, you know, give some, some comfort to him and some peace for myself and for our, our family. And you and your husband both did it, like the whole family ate that way and lived that way? Uh, no, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> Myself and two children ate that way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was just like, okay, I don't know who I just married in Italy, but this is not who I saw before Italy. So maybe she ate too much uh, pizza. <laughs> and so, and, and, and through all of your research and through all of this trial and error, I know you learned so much and also learned about advocating for yourself and, and your grandfather suggested that you should write a book. My grandfather literally was it was his last few days of, of being physically here with us on earth. And he said to me, there's so much in you, you need to tell. And I didn't know what he meant. I had no idea. I didn't, I, I just did not know what he meant. And it wasn't until he passed where it came to me, it was a book. Yeah. And I wrote this book to help people. But I, I did not know what my grandfather was talking about at the time. It wasn't until he had passed. And it was like, you, you get a message and either you're too busy to hear it or you sit still long enough to hear it. And so I was one of those that sit, sat still long enough to hear it. And I wrote this book. I'll never forget it. We were at our house out. We were on the East Coast at the time. I grabbed my computer. I went outside in the backyard. We're, we're, in, we're not in the city. We were out in, in the Hamptons at the time. And so, cause you know, apartments in New York don't have backyards. So <laughs> I don't want to confuse anybody. So I go in the backyard 
And I said to my husband, I'm going to write a book. And he just looked at me like, okay, gypsy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you are, but okay. I'm here for you if you need me. (laughs) I mean, as a PR and communications major, you know, you you hadn't ever, I mean, you'd written, I'm sure, but you'd never thought, thought about writing a book. What was that like? No, I just, you know, my journey with my children, I knew I wanted to help other people. I'm like, there's no way I can be the only one feeling this helpless. Anytime yourself or your children, you are giving that, that path on your journey of life to deal with health challenges. And, and we've gone through so many and so much. I knew that there was definitely hope. And I had nobody there to support me through it because everyone at the time thought I was crazy. You know, no, no one had to be free of anything at the time. This was, there was one loaf of bread we could buy that was gluten-free. It was rice bread, you know, but you, what you can find today, none of this existed when we started. I mean, my kids didn't even wear chemically treated diapers. I found a, a company that like you had to order them and they'll send them to you. Like my kids had never worn chemical diapers. And so this was just how I chose to, to, to raise my kids. This is how, how I had decided. It was challenging, but I knew there's no way I'm alone. And if I can help at least one person, then I'm going to write this book. And it never stopped. And I just, that's really what I'm about. My mother always said, you know, you are a teacher. And, and I ended up falling into teaching before I had my own kids, actually. Yeah. And my mother always used to say to me, you should be a teacher, you should be a teacher. And I was like, no, 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 no. But the love that I had for children made sense as to how I fell into being a teacher and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I also think the love that you have for sharing and being generous, it sounds like just from the little I know, you had gone through so many things and wanted to to share what you knew with people. Thank you. Yeah, I will admit I am a giver. And one thing that I've learned since moving to the West Coast is now it's time to learn to be a receiver because I never received and I didn't know how to receive, but I was, I'm definitely a giver. I love to share. I love to inform, inspire, and, you know, help people in any kind of way, because that's really what it's about. We're all given life lessons and challenges, but how do you get through them? How do you navigate through them? And I think it requires, you know, support and knowledge to help us get through things. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about the the silver linings and the pandemic on the podcast and I think one of the things that is a real silver lining is everybody getting back into their kitchens and cooking. And your second book, Shut Up and Cook, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, I never left my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I never left my kitchen. So my life hasn't changed in that regard. The only thing is, you know, my children, I homeschooled both of them years ago, which was truly a blessing. Um, and I loved it immensely. And, you know, I feel for the parents today that are, that are struggling with it because it really doesn't have to be the struggle that it is that I've seen, that I've personally heard from friends. Like, it does not have to be that. But at any rate, so when I homeschooled my children, you know, I was able to provide lunch for them because I went from cooking breakfast and dinner, but then now they're homeschooled. So I was able to provide lunch. And I was happy about that because I knew they were eating a nutritional meal three times a day versus two times a day or, or, you know, one time a day, because then after school activities and, you know, the junk food comes in and, you know, whatever. Are both of their allergies totally gone? So I am not lying when I say this. 
I honestly believe in my heart, just all the different healing modalities that we have used, that we have tried, the, the, the food has, I, I, I hand it down to Mother Earth. I think Mother Earth really was the biggest culprit into healing my children. Yeah. They have outgrown all of their allergies except for certain nuts with both of them. Wow, that's amazing. And this, these were kids that, you know, food, dye, and candy. Um, even still, we try and, you know, I'm not one to say, oh, yeah, go for the food, dye, you know. <laughs> but, but when they were little, you know, I think I was connecting my emotional upbringing, like, oh, yeah, get that cereal. It's pretty. And I remember it made me feel good when I went to my grandmother. So here, I'll buy you a box. <laughs> I was, like, feeding my kids through my own emotions. And I was making them sick. And, you know, having two kids and, and I raised them by myself, so I didn't have help. And, you know, living in New York, it's convenient. So it's like, I'm ordering tonight. Oh, we're going to order again. Oh, we're going to order again because we can. And I was making them sicker and sicker and had no idea. I don't love cooking. What I love is knowing that I'm providing meals that are healthy, that are full yeah. of, you know, they're nutrient-based meals. They're meals full of minerals and vitamins. And they're, it's food and meals that will sustain them and not foods that offer no nutritional value with a temporary relief of satisfaction. Well, I also think you can tell when food is cooked with love. It tastes so much better. <laughs> yeah. Although, although now I'm getting, okay, did you follow a recipe? Because I'm always, I'm always like <laughs> making something my own. So I'm, I made some cookies and I'm so not going to be dishonest here. I made some cookies I put them in the oven and I was like, oh, this is going to be the bomb. Like this batch right here, I'm going to knock it off the park. Oh my goodness. Next thing you know, they all melted into one <laughs> flat. It looked like a science project. And I was like, what the heck? And my daughter's like, well, did you use flour? And then my son's like, what kind of flour did you use? Did you use bean flour, mom? <laughs> That sounds perfect there. The world's biggest cookie. I want to hear about your, your new business, Necessite. Will you talk about that and tell me about what it is and, and why you created it? Oh, thank you for asking. So, you know, Necessite is my third baby, honestly. <laughs> and I, I, I can't believe I'm honestly saying this. You know, there was the, many years ago, one of Oprah's producers had said to me, you should start a lifestyle platform. And I laughed it off, literally. I was like, huh, I have no time. I have two little kids. I think it's somewhere stuck subconsciously yeah. in my mind. Mm -hmm. So we moved here. And next thing you know, I'm working on Necessite. And I'm going through all my paperwork from years ago. And when I look at everything that I've done, like everything, all my note taking, all my creative ideas, it's exactly what I am working on right now. So I didn't want to do another book. I wanted an ongoing conversation. I didn't have any place that I could go to online that, that spoke to me. And when my friends kept asking me, these are friends that are multicultural from every part of the world. You know, they're like, we need somewhere to go. There's no one speaking to us. And they were like, why don't you do it? When I kept hearing this, I was like, okay, then maybe, maybe I'm not done. Maybe I do have more to say. And I didn't want to do another book because I wanted an ongoing conversation. I didn't want something that expired and had to be met with a deadline. Mm 
So I said, you know what? I'm going to make it inclusive because all my friends that are a melting pot of people are asking for this and they're, they're, they, they want to connect somewhere. And I looked at my daughter one day and I said, if she doesn't have anywhere online to go to where she can buy hair products, where she can buy skin products, where she can learn how to become a young woman and start taking care of herself, then I know I have work to do. And that's when I said, she doesn't have it. That means her friends don't have it. And if my friends were asking and they don't have it, then I definitely need to help the ones that are also coming up because kids today, you have to know the word to Google it. If you don't have the word, you can't Google it. Right. So it was really important with Necessite to offer content where, you know, we could come and learn and learn about health and our bodies and not be embarrassed to have these real honest articles written, you know, whether we're talking about toxic shock syndrome, like girls don't hear about this today, like they did when we were growing up. It's just not the same conversation. And I said, you know, we have to continue to keep this dialogue going and, and continue this, this conversation. I just felt it was responsibility. So I said, these are going to be the needs of a woman. We'll start out, you know, catering to the business of women and make it inclusive for all women. It doesn't matter, um, you know, where you are, what you have, what you don't. We all go through the same thing. We, we all get menstrual cycles. We have breasts. We get cystic breasts. We have ovarian issues. Like we all go through something, maybe not at the same time, but we all experience something. And I said, you know, it has to be inclusive. I want something that is inclusive and that's you know, diverse. I want to carry products that are diverse so anyone can come find something regardless, you know, what their budget may be. I want it to be attainable and I want these needs to be the needs of a woman. I love that you're demonstrating your sustainability to the community and the fashion world with the resale component. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love that and I think it's, it's genius. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I believe in sharing. I give, you know, what I can away. So I always donated clothing all the time to shelters in New York. Well, years went by and keep donating, donating. And it got to the point where they would not take my donations at more than one shelter. Like I would try and try and they're like, sorry, we we can't take it. The women can't wear the stuff that you're dropping off. And I started getting that too much. And I had already shipped tons of stuff to Ghana and West Africa. I used to send stuff there, just spreading the, you know, the blessing, just spreading it around. And I got the no from the shelters in New York, from, from women's shelters, and I got the no in Africa. Uh, there was a, a group that I had met through one of my children's schools, and I was in touch with them forever and I would send boxes and they just stopped. They would not even let the people get our boxes anymore. So I literally was knocked down from shelters in New York and from an organization in, in West Africa where we used to send clothes. So I said, I have all these clothes. I don't want to consign. And then when I moved to LA and started working on the Cessate, I said, this is how we're going to launch the closet. We'll start with the items that I typically would have donated, which were from my own personal closet. And then as time goes by, we'll grow and expand it. Speaking of dreams. <laughs> I, I love your consistent focus on the ability that we all have to manifest our greatest dreams. Will you talk a little bit about what manifestation means to you and also maybe share what you think can help 
someone who feels blocked around what they want to manifest in their lives? So manifestation, I think, is something that I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was doing it at a very young age, but I had no idea what it was. It wasn't anything that I was taught. It was just something that I kind of became aware of. And it's a practice that I deepen and, and I've instilled it in my children. And one of my biggest gifts next to life is truly my intuition. My family, I think they appreciate it, but at the same time, they do not like it because <laughs> they don't like that I can tell them something without them even telling me. <laughs> yep. They, they, they don't like it. It, it, it. My daughter's always like, you should have worked with the CIA. <laughs> you should have been an FBI or it. Like, you know, it, they just don't like it. But when, when it serves as well, they love it. But, you know, manifesting and visualizing and doing vision boards is something that I've been doing for many years. And I truly see the power of it. I see the power in connecting with the universe and setting forth your dream and being able to attain it. I think that you honestly have to be open to receive this. If you block yourself and think it's cuckoo, there's no such thing, then you, what you believe is what you will have. And, and so for me, I'm the complete opposite. I open myself up I know that there are no limits unless I limit myself and get in my way. So I, I've always been able to receive healing information. I've always been able to receive healing modalities, but I never was able to receive material gifts for myself. So that was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was learning to receive. I'm learning to receive in that way. But on the spiritual side and the universal side, I've always allowed myself to receive. I've always been able to allow myself to receive faith and going deeper and connecting to my spirit and my soul and nourishing that part. And you have to feed it like anything else. And that's one thing about necessity where, you know, self-care, I don't know if you've looked, but when we want, launched this over a year ago, I didn't want to bracket a category that was about wellness. I said, wellness is what you attain. It's what you achieve. Self-care is what you start with to get to wellness. You can't wake up one day and have wellness. You have to be on a journey to achieve wellness. So it was very important on necessity to create a tab that said self-care because everything starts with self. It's self-love. It's so many layers to it. So anybody that's feeling blocked, you have to go within yourself, learn what your chakras are, you know, and it's not a religion. It's, it's nothing like that. This is out in the universe. I'm not making this stuff up. It's not psychic. I don't, you know, do that stuff. I'm really connected with, you know, mother earth. And I think anybody can be, you have to allow yourself to get grounded and do your self work and go deeper with yourself to be able to receive because we get in our way and it's easy to get in our way. We can talk ourselves into something, but we can also talk ourselves out of something. And most times we're usually talking ourselves out of something than into something because of fear-based. And when you let the fear go and you really open up and allow yourself to receive the blessings in the world that are the things that we cannot necessarily see, that, that to me is just beautiful on a whole nother level. And I think we all have the ability to do so. It's learning how to do it. It's sitting still with yourself. It's taking moments with yourself. And it's beyond just, you know, right now I know everyone's self-care this and self-care that. And that's fine. It's great to have a conversation about it, but it's also not a fad. It's not trendy. It's not a, the moment. Self-care has been around for years and it goes beyond 
meditating. It goes beyond writing in your journal. It goes beyond using a face mask. You know, self-care <laughs> has many layers. It does, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's not, it's not like gluten-free, you know, it's not the new kale, you know, we have to be <laughs> careful so it doesn't become trendy where we're all about self-care right now. And then in nine months, we're not talking about self-care anymore. Self-care has been around forever. And it's something that we all have to focus on mentally and physically, spiritually, soulfully. And it's going within ourselves first because you cannot give and love and take care of anything else or anyone else until you start with you first. I can't wait to hear if you actually did ride a horse to prom, but what did you wear to prom? Oh, okay. So <laughs> I, I, I'm only thinking and pausing because I'm like, well, which prom? Because I was the girl where my cousin needed a prom date. So I go be his prom date. And then my, my friend who was like my best friend needed a prom date because he couldn't get, you know, a girl to go with him. One of the dresses that I wore, it was like a tap of the dress. And my mother, you know, we no means had the financial means to get me like these beautiful prom dresses that everybody was wearing. And I was so out of the box anyway. I was like, oh, I'll make it work. So I wore this fuchsia and black dress that if I had it today, I would rock it and feel so proud. I don't think I'd be able to fit it because the hips <laughs> did change a little bit. But if I could tweak it and have it altered, oh my God, that dress was like, it was taffeta. It was fuchsia and black. It was like was right below the knee. It was so beautiful. And the colors were just me. And, and, and it's true when they say fashion repeats itself. It really does. I'm wearing Norma Kamali now. I'm, I'm, I'm shopping in Norma Kamali's vintage section, wearing her old dresses and stuff. Listen, like, if I could look anything like Norma Kamali, who is 70, I would be really thrilled. She's the most beautiful woman. Oh, yeah. And she takes care of herself, yeah. you know? And that's what it's about. Do you remember accessories or shoes? You didn't do a pink shoe and a, and a fuchsia shoe and a black shoe, did you? Uh, no, I did not. But I, uh, but knowing me, I tried to find that fuchsia shoe and tried to get it dyed and no one could dye it to the color I wanted. So I wore two black shoes, uh, the same shoe. You know, I didn't switch up the shoes. They were both black. I remember wearing black sheer, I guess, pantyhose, sheer pantyhose. And the jewelry was some fake cubic something that I felt like I was Diana Carroll on Dynasty wearing. And love, love. You, you just couldn't tell me that I was not cute. And then I wore my black up the arm black gloves. That and, is cool. And I think I still have my gloves. You know, <laughs> I, I have a few pieces from being a little girl and a high schooler. And I think I have something from each phase of my life, at least one item. Love that. Erica. Oh, yeah. Thank you so, so much for talking to us. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me and necessity. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.